Well, good morning, friends. I'm so glad that you've decided to uh, be with Lakewood this morning for worship. Uh, what a wonderful, sweet time of year this is. And uh, I want to say congratulations. Add my words to uh, those already to our graduating seniors. All of us have wonderful memories of our graduation. Um, yours are going to be very unique, but they're going to be special. And we're praising God with you and for you. Uh, what a wonderful uh, opportunity to uh, march into adult living at a very unique time. You're needed. I want you to know that. Um, perhaps uh, I'm, I'm doing something that's really unusual for me this morning. I'm returning to a message after several weeks. I preached the first half back in March, and uh, this is the second half of this message on Sarah. And uh, you might be wondering, why would Steve do that? Well, there's several things that have intervened. Certainly the social distancing thing has thro thrown some things up in the air, but, but uh, then uh, Palm Sunday and Easter uh, got in the way of finishing this. And you know what? It was like the Lord said to me, uh, Steve, you've got to preach Psalm 34. And um, I understand more of his reasoning now than I did back then. And uh, that's often the way it is walking with the Lord. You, you hear God speak to you and you do what God says and you discover afterwards what it was all about. More about that later. So if you were with us when we were doing this sermon series, uh, The Joy of the Journey, you've undoubtedly learned a lot about faith. We've been learning from the life of Abraham and Sarah, two of the heroes of the faith, mentioned in the wonderful list of God's Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. And I hope those of you who have been here for those messages have a good biblical definition of faith tucked away in your heart. What's faith? Well, let me boil it down to just a few short words. Biblical faith is trusting God enough to let him lead and direct and control my life. Let me say it again so that you can get it. Trusting God enough to lead and direct and control my life. Biblical faith is trusting God to let him lead, direct, and control my life. Now that definition is absolutely critical. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. But if we're going to please God by our faith, then we've got to have God's definition of what faith is. The Bible says by grace you are saved through faith. Eternal life begins when you grab hold of God's grace by faith. You trust him for forgiveness. You trust him to secure your eternity. You trust him to change your life. Faith. But again, it's faith by God's definition. To some people, faith is just a set of doctrines they say they believe. It's a mind thing, a head thing that has little effect on their life. To others, faith is something that just sort of sits there on the back shelf of their mind until they find themselves in trouble. It's something to fall back on when all else fails. But when you look at faith in the great chapter of Hebrews 11, it's a radical, life-changing, all-consuming kind of thing. It's a powerful thing, faith. Changes your eternal destiny. Faith recruits the power of the Almighty to work in our lives 
so that we can actually live way beyond our capacity, way beyond human possibilities. That's what can happen when we give God the reins and trust him to rule and direct and master our lives. Faith, what is it? Biblical faith is trusting God to lead, direct, and control my life. Well, we began looking last time at Sarah, wife of Abraham, and I've got to tell you, understanding her has been kind of been a struggle for me. She's right here in Hebrews 11, 11, alongside Father Abraham, the father of the faithful. She's here in this great honor roll of the saints, but why? If you remember last time, we saw some ugly chapters of failure in her life. She certainly didn't look like any hero of faith, did she? Not once, but twice in a situation of desperation, she and Abraham conspired to lie about the fact that they were husband and wife. Then another moment of disappointment and desperation when God's promises seemed impossible, she came up with the idea that in order to have a child, Abraham would have to sleep with her Egyptian servant girl, Hagar. You remember that story? And our world is still paying the price of that foolish decision, especially the conflict in the Middle East. But how in the world does Sarah appear here in Hebrews 11 in Faith's Hall of Fame? With these credentials, she probably is better listed in the Hall of Failure. Why is she a heroine of faith? But I think I found the answer. And today I want to suggest to you that after years of failure, God took Sarah on a journey of conversion. In the episode we're going to study today, Sarah came to the place of letting go control of her life, releasing control, and trusting God to lead and direct her life. Like you and me, she was full of weakness and failure. But powerful changes took place in her life when she let God direct and control her life. Turn to Hebrews 18. Here, I believe, is the pivotal experience of Sarah's life. It's a fascinating drama, if you can see it. God comes visiting, apparently in disguise. And it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found failure in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. Now, this is one of those fascinating events called a theophany. A theophany is when God appears in physical visible physical form. 
God has at times made himself visible in a variety of ways. To Moses, God appeared in the burning bush. To Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a fourth person appeared walking with them in the fiery furnace. In Exodus, God appeared in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And here, God appears in human disguise as a simple visitor happening by. Abraham didn't recognize him at first, but the passage is clear. One of these three visitors is God. So let's read on. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Set <laughs> then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, Abraham stood nearby them under a tree. You know, I really enjoyed this story as I studied. Do you realize what a fast-paced, hurried life we live? Man, you know, I have a hard time waiting in line at McDonald's for my Big Mac. Lines there are exceptionally long, especially during social distancing and that car lineup. But look at this. Abraham says to these three travelers, don't run away. He invites them to stay for dinner, and they stay. You know, there's something about the nomadic culture of the Middle East that just expects to take time for a blessing. Two years ago, I was in Israel, and we were driving past these Bedouin shepherds on the hillside and there was a turnoff right there so our tour guide said let's stop and just watch for a moment and as soon as they saw us stop and roll down the window we were on the far side of a four-lane highway the older man waved to us to come over and he said come we have coffee that's amazing but that's the hospitality of the world Abraham lived in so Abraham hurried to tell Sarah to get baking, and then Abe went to get the hamburger, but the hamburger is still walking around in the yard. Get this. This was an all-day event, but that's what it meant to be hospitable in that culture. You not only took life at a more sane pace, but you took time for relationships, and aren't we eager to get back to our relationships. It occurred to me recently that although I don't expect a theophany life like this, I wonder if we would slow down and take more time for people if God wouldn't show us his presence in those conversations. And I hope that is something we remember when we're done with our social distancing. Look at what happens next, verse 9. Where is your wife, Sarah, they asked him. You know, Abraham's culture was like many ancient cultures, even today. I've, I've seen this in Ukraine when I visited there. The women don't mix in groups of men. When company arrives, they stay out of sight. They stay in the kitchen. But I can imagine Abraham slowly getting the picture that these are not just ordinary guests. How did they know his wife's name? At least they know something about him. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then 
the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah, here's the question. Where's your wife? She's just inside the tent, and she hears this promise, but she looks down at her 90-year-old body. She looks in the mirror, and she sees her white hair. She feels the arthritis in her bones. And so verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself. Actually, the Hebrew of the text says she laughed within herself, not out loud, not so anyone could hear, just a silly giggle inside at the foolishness of this idea. But also perhaps a, life, a, a laugh of disbelief. Maybe she was thinking, yeah, we've heard this before. We've tried everything we can think of to make, make it come to pass for me to have a, a son. I even gave my Abraham my servant girl. We've been waiting for this promise for an awful long time. Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? I think right about this time, Abraham knows these aren't just traveling salesmen. Abraham didn't hear any laugh. Abe didn't hear Sarah say anything, but the Lord heard it, read her thoughts. And the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Verse 15, Sarah was afraid. She saw that her heart was known and revealed to God. She saw that there is one who reads hearts like we read a book, read her mind, and she reacted like we would. Verse 15, she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, oh, yes, you did laugh. Now, the account ends here. The subject is dropped, and another episode begins in Abraham's life. But we're going to see Sarah laugh again. Next time, a laugh of joy and delight. Here's what Genesis 21 says. Sarah became pregnant in her old age. At the very time God promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore him, which means laughter. Isaac, he laughs. What a great name for a son. What a great faith reminder for his mom. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah 
would nurse children in her old age. And yet I have borne him a son now that I am old. The story with the three visitors is really where the work of God began in Sarah's heart. What happened was that Sarah discovered she couldn't keep the wraps on anymore. Her thoughts and attitudes were exposed and open and known to God. You know, lots of us keep up some pretty good false fronts, don't we? We look pretty good to people who can't see our hearts. We look really good when we come to church, but we don't fool God. He reads us like a book. That's the first thing that happened to Sarah. And when false fronts come down, she saw something more, that she really had been laughing at God all the time. Years ago, God had made this glorious promise. He repeated it to Sarah and Abraham no less than seven times. Over and over and over she'd heard it, but something was wrong in the faith department. Inside, in the hidden place of her heart, Sarah had given up on God and was insisting on being in control of her own life. We want to have a child? Well, we know what we can do about that. We can pull this off. But later in life, when that hadn't worked, now she's saying, let's come up with a better plan. Hagar, the servant girl, that could work. But didn't that turn sour? And Sarah, now white-haired and wrinkled, nothing was left but cynical, hard, toughened unbelief. And she laughed at the foolishness of the promises of God, the craziness of God's word to her, she might have been able to hide her unbelief from Abraham. She hid her cynical bitterness from others, but she couldn't hide it from God. Why did you laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. Oh, but you did. You even said in your heart, impossible. I don't believe it anymore. It's a crazy, stupid idea. And some of us are right there. We've tried till we are blue in the face to make life fit, to make it work, to build some kind of happiness, some kind of peace. And it all escapes us. And some of us have become cynical and hard. Oh, maybe not where people can see it, but down in our hearts. And we hear the promises of God and we say, yeah, I I've heard all that before. Must be for somebody else, but it doesn't work for me. Amazing thing that God has all eternity to work with and just because we haven't received yet doesn't mean we won't. And in the meantime, we try so hard to look good and acceptable and okay to the church people around us, but inwardly we're disappointed with God. We're not doing as well as we want others to believe. We're wearing masks, kind of a disguise. But it's because our trust is in us, not in God. We can't make it work, but God can. One of the things you need to know as a Christian 
is that the power of the Holy Spirit is active and alive in you. The power of God to transform you into the person God wants you to be and into the supernatural blessing of God. The power of the Holy Spirit gives you greater possibilities than even Sarah had. And God changed her, powerfully changed her. I'm so glad that failure is not where God left Sarah. Somehow with her disbelief exposed, she was able to hear something else, couldn't get it out of her mind. And the words of God came home to her heart finally with particular power. Is there anything too hard for God? That's a question Sarah had to face. Is there? Is anything too hard for God, the creator? The one who out of nothing spoke this world into being? Each grain of sand on the seashore is his creation. Each star in the sky is the work of his hand. She thought about the one who sustains from day to day all the unexplainable, mighty, complex forces of the earth, who brings the sun up on time, who guides the planets in their whirling courses, who predicts human events and perhaps even centuries later brings them to pass. If God can do all that, could God still take this wrinkled old body and make his promise good and give Sarah a child? Is anything too hard for God? And as Sarah began to see beyond the contrary facts of her own life and beyond the contrary feelings of her heart, she admitted, of course not. Nothing is too hard for God. If God made a promise, it will happen. And God did the impossible. By faith, she received power to conceive, it says, when she was past age, because she considered God faithful who made the promise. Such a powerful lesson on the nature of faith. Like most of us, Sarah needed a nose-to-nose -nose confrontation with God before she could really see the self-centered, self-sufficient woman she had become. She needed that meeting with God to recognize that she really wasn't doing very well running her own life. She needed that hard confrontation to strip away her self-righteousness, her self-satisfaction. She needed that showdown with God to strip away her self-sufficiency and replace it with simple faith. The kind of faith that means trusting God to direct and control and run your life. Faith is not just believing something. Faith is not just a set of doctrines. Faith is trusting God to direct and control and run my life. And when God has that kind of opportunity with your life, hold on to your hat because powerful, amazing, miraculous things are going to start to happen. Let's get real practical today. You know, lots of us have been real failures at running our own life. We've been failures at our life with God, just like Sarah. We look good when we get to church, but in our 
quiet, alone moments, we know how weak and failing we are. Does it seem hard for you to be what God wants you to be? Hard to say no to your sinful desires? Hard to direct your mind and thoughts toward wholesome things? It's not too hard for God. Does it seem hard to you to be gracious and forgiving and loving and kind when you know how nasty and unpleasant and miserly you can be? Some of us uh, stuck in the house in this forced isolation with the same people day after day, we're discovering some of the weakness of our character. Does it seem hard to you? It's not too hard for God. Hard to believe that the friend that you're praying for will ever be converted? That is not too hard for God. Does some ministry God is asking of you seem impossible? Is the situation you are living in, does it seem too hard and demanding for you? It may be hard for you, but it's not too hard for God. Doesn't it seem smart? Doesn't it seem best to put your life in his hands? Doesn't it seem best to trust him to direct and arrange your life if that's what he wants to do for you? Just a year ago now, we were moving back from Thief River Falls to Owakana, our home. And uh, in Fergus Falls, uh, there's a bunch of former youth group teens that I pastored way back in the 1970s. And we had such a great time as we gathered with them last year reminiscing. I was reminded of the events of the last two months that I was in youth work as their youth pastor. God taught me such a powerful lesson, lessons that I have needed every step of my path as a pastor and as an interim pastor too, and I really need them today. I led a youth choir uh, on a tour um, with, went with those teens through Idaho and Montana and Oregon and Washington State. And I had planned that so carefully. You know, taking 30 teens and five leaders for two weeks and 3,500 miles to sing every night, that's not just something you throw together. I had Gantt charts and Pert charts with pages and pages of steps and instructions and Bible studies and directions. And 10 days before we were to leave, I broke my ankle. Long, embarrassing story that I won't tell you now, but I had a bad fall into a patch of rocks that was filled with a patch of poison ivy. And after x-rays, they said I needed surgery just days before I would climb on the bus and lead this tour. And I argued with my doctor and I argued with my surgeon and I argued with my wife. I argued with God. How could this happen? 30 teens are depending on me. 15 churches are expecting me. The home church is supporting us. They've given thousands of dollars to help us go and minister. I can't let all these people down. And it was almost like I heard God say, Steve, you trusted me with your life. Now trust me with your ministry. I specialize, God said, in things that look impossible. 
Ten days later, I went up the steps of that coach on crutches, cast on my foot, poison ivy under my cast. And for the next uh, two and a half weeks, God showed me a little bit of what was possible trusting him. And there were challenges I had to trust God through. Every single day of that trip were those kinds of challenges. About the middle of that trip, I got the feeling that we just might pull this all off in spite of my crutches and a cast and poison ivy under the cast. I thought I was doing really good. And I woke up that morning with a real fever, feeling crummy. I had a staph infection and was so sick and dizzy, I couldn't even stand up. We were in a little church, wonderful people in a little town called Westport, Washington. It was a small church, maybe 45 members, but half an hour before the concert in that little church were over 200 people. Pastor had challenged the church to each bring four friends, and some brought more. And they were expecting something special. And I said, Lord, they're dependent on me, and I'm depending on you. I had to direct the group. I had to sing that final solo. But I couldn't even stand up without feeling like I'd pass out. Well, while I laid there so miserably sick, 30 teens and five leaders and an expectant pastor came in and laid hands on me and prayed for my recovery. And to my great surprise, 10 minutes before the concert time, my fever was normal. I felt great. I got up and directed the concert, sang the solo, gave an altar call invitation, and 25 people that night gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. I asked the pastor to end the service and I went back and collapsed in the bus, sicker than a dog. But for that one hour, I felt like I was being carried on wings of eagles. Listen to me. Faith is trusting God to direct and control and arrange your life. It's knowing that unless you give God the reins, unless you put him in the driver's seat, Life just won't work well. It's coming to God weak and miserable and sinful and failing and to say, God, you take it. I can't do much with it, but will you do something worthwhile with my life? And I wonder if you'd like to take that step with God today. Pray with me. Lord, right now in the core of our heart, we recognize how much we need you. Life seems to continue to throw these challenges at us to remind us that we weren't meant to do life alone and we need you desperately. Holy Spirit, will you come in a fresh way and fill us with your presence. Empower us for the life we are called to lead. Lord, we give you your right because you are Lord, Master, Boss. Your right to rule our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.